like the Buffalo Bills. What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in for today's episode. If you do not follow me on Instagram, please give me a follow at English Encore Podcast. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Today, I'm going to dive into some Stanley Cup playoffs talk, talk about the MLB, some of the bigger surprises of the season. We're going to talk some AL and NL MVP race. We're going to be talking about some tennis, specifically the French Open, which just ended about a week ago. And then I'm going to close today's show talking about some coaches going into this season that are going to be on the hot seat um, and that could be fired if they do not have um, a season up to par. But starting off with the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's been absolutely crazy um, top to bottom. I know I haven't dove into it too deeply just because of you know various guests I was able to get on and me and Zach recorded a really long NBA podcast episode. So I don't want to spend too much time recapping the first two rounds, but kind of just a quick overview of what's happened and kind of leading us to where we are at um, currently. So the Islanders took out the number one seeded Penguins in six games then we had boston taking out the capitals four games to one carolina four to two over nashville and then tampa uh outlasting florida four games to two then tampa ended up running over carolina which i think everyone thought that was gonna be a lot tighter of a series but with nikita kucherov steven stamkos and those guys getting healthy they look like an absolute wagon right now so they are currently playing the islanders in the eastern conference finals who were able to prevail against Boston um, in six games after a rough start to that series. They were able to win um, four straight. So right now, Tampa is currently leading the Islanders two games to one with game four being played tonight. This is a really tight series. I think the Islanders hopefully will be up to the task because these have been some really entertaining games. I really love what Matthew Barzell has been able to do for the Islanders. Their goaltending situation has been very weird, but Barry Trotz has done a really nice job picking and choosing when to use Varlamov versus Sorokin. They really just need their guys that were able to prevail scoring-wise in the Boston series, Clutterbuck, Sezikis, to step up against a team like Tampa, who just has goal scores everywhere. Kucherov, Braden Point has had an unbelievable playoffs. Victor Hedman has also been really good, and they probably have the best goaltender in the NHL, in Vasilevsky. Then we look over at the Western Conference. Colorado absolutely rolled St. Louis four games to zero in the first round. Vegas had to fight their way through Minnesota in a tough seven-game series. Then, as typical Toronto fashion, blowing a 3-1 to series lead and then blowing a lead um, and losing game seven um, was just Something to behold as a Sabres fan who's always been struggling. It's always nice to see the Leafs lose. So the Canadians win that. Then Winnipeg ends up sweeping Edmonton, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dressel out of the playoffs, only to be followed by Montreal sweeping Winnipeg and Vegas really outplaying Colorado. Even though it was a six-game series, 
I really thought Vegas dominated almost all those games except for the first game of the series when they decided to roll with Lob, excuse me, Robin Leonard in goal. It's been Mark Andre Fleury's show since, and in drastic fashion, Vegas is currently down two games to one in the Western Conference Finals against Montreal. It's been absolutely insane. Montreal finally has fans in stands. That atmosphere last night was absolutely crazy, and Vegas outplayed them the entire game, only for Marc-Andre Fleury to misplay a puck behind the net. Josh Anderson taps it in to send it to overtime, and then they lose in overtime. So now Montreal has a two games to one series lead on Vegas, a series in which everyone, I think, was thinking Vegas was going to roll you know, four games to one, four games to zero. But Montreal's hanging tight. Cole Caulfield and Tyler Toffoli have been awesome. Carey Price is doing his natural Carey Price things in the playoffs. Um, two really just completely different series when you're looking at both of these. You're looking at Tampa and the Islanders who faced each other last year. There's some bad blood there. The Islanders have been rolling. They came off a really tough series against Boston, but were able to prevail. You know, Tampa had an easier, you know, path going through in only five games versus Carolina. So they've kind of been waiting around, and they just look really tough to beat. And I think the Islanders can get it done in seven games, but they have to win tonight's game to do that. And Vegas, I think they're still the favorite to come out of the series because they can still split with Montreal on the road coming up in the next few days. But Vegas does not want to go down three games to one against this Montreal team where Carey Price can just have one good night um, after that and your season's going to be over. So really interesting dynamic. I think if I had to pick right now, I would probably say I would pick Vegas in seven games and then I would probably take Tampa in six. As much as I want the Islanders to win and think they can win, I think it would have to go seven if it if they were to win. Um, I think we are going to see a matchup that we've been really anticipating between Vegas and Tampa, two teams that really get up and down the ice. A lot of star power on both teams. Two great goalies. Um, it'll just be a great season ender um, for the NHL. And, you know, just such a great playoff atmosphere. It's been really weird um, with the different divisions and the matchups that we're able to see, um, especially if Montreal, for some reason, is able to make it to the Cup. You know, they could be facing another Eastern Conference team in which they're normally in. Um, so it's just a really weird year. But, a great Stanley Cup playoffs nonetheless. Transitioning over to baseball, um, we're about 65, 70 games in for most teams, and there really isn't too much um, to be shocked about as far as the standings go. San Francisco, the Dodgers, and the Padres all really battling each other in the NL West for that top spot. Same thing with Chicago, Milwaukee, and Cincinnati. They're battling out NL Central. I think Cincinnati's actually had a really good year um, they've been surprising some people, I think. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Um, they've just been playing some really good baseball. The New York Mets have a five-game lead in the NLEs despite all of their injuries, and I think that is really their division to lose um, at this point. Oakland, Houston, and Seattle are all kind of right there. Even the Angels, to a certain extent, are eight games back in the AL West. Um, AL Central is really a two-horse race to White Sox and Indians. Other than that, Kansas City, Detroit, and Minnesota are all just really bad. I mean, all three of those teams are already double digits behind the Indians um, and White Sox. 
And then the AL East, I think, is the most competitive. I mean, Toronto, even though they're 33 and 35 as of right now, I know they're playing a game currently against Baltimore. They're probably going to win that and move to 34 and 35. So they're pretty much right at 500. The Yankees have been playing better late. They're 6 and 4 in their last 10. There was a short period where Aaron Boone was really on the hot seat because they were just not playing good baseball. They were losing a ton. Um, the Red Sox, I think, have been a little bit surprising. They've kind of cooled off, though. Um, as of late when they started off the year really, really well. And then Tampa Bay, I mean, every year, despite who they lose, they lose Blake Snell in the offseason. They trade him away to the Padres. And for some reason, this team always finds different ways to win ball games. 43-28 and 28 as of right now. They're currently on a four-game losing streak, but I just have a lot of confidence in them that they're going to probably be able to win this division. But let's talk some MLB, um, AL and NL MVP talk. I think right now, if you're looking at the AL, it's really two guys that are getting the most talk. I think the third guy would probably be Xander Bogarts, just because he's batting above 320. He's slugging at a 570 clip, 13 home runs, and he's really giving the Red Sox a boost for a team that maybe wasn't picked to be at the top of that division. I think people really thought they were going to be a third or fourth best team um, in that division. So I think he right now is probably in third. But the top two guys I think are very clear at this very moment. And it's kind of surprising because their teams right now are both right around the 500 mark. And that's uh, Shohei Otani of the Angels. I mean, he's the first player in a really long time we've been able to see do it on both sides. He's batting 271, 618 slug. He's got 19 home runs. He's also 2-1 as a pitcher with a 2.85 ERA and 68 Ks. This is a guy that I think would be my pick to win MVP for the AL if he can continue to have this season the way he is. If he continues to bat you know, in the 270 or higher range and get into the 30-40 home run range, and then he's able to keep that ERA under four, it's going to be very tough not to give him the AL MVP award. Right now, I'd say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a slight edge on him just because of how great he has been on both sides, um, both hitting and in the field. I mean, he's batting above 340 right now. He is almost a .5 on base percentage, slugging at a 682 clip, and he's at 23 home runs now as he hit another one today against the Orioles. Um, he's just having an unreal year. If they're able to get into a playoff spot later in the year, or at least be right there, um, I think it's going to be between those two. And then you have some other guys, the Aaron Judges, the Jose Ramirez's, um, even Jose Abreu of the White Sox, I think it's another name, and Byron Buxton of the Twins are guys to keep an eye on. But as of right now, at this point in the season, I really do think it's between Otani um, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. In the NL, I think everyone is quick to look at Fernando Tatis as the favorite. I mean, he is batting 277. He's got 21 home runs. But to me, the MVP in the NL, and it really shouldn't be that close, is the pitcher Jacob DeGrom of the New York Mets. He's 6-2 and two overall. He is a .54 ERA. I know he's had some injury issues um, as of late, but he's got 111 strikeouts. We're talking about a guy that's even hitting the ball really well as a pitcher. If I'm if I'm correct, he's batted in more runs this year um, than he has given up as far as runs go. That's absolutely insane. Um, and if you want some more Mets baseball talk, be sure 
to check out Scooter and the Big Man, who I also had on this podcast. Quick shout out to them um, and their New York Mets podcast. But yeah, like there's no way he's not the NL MVP right now. Um, if he doesn't get it, it's just because people love the hitting and they love, you know, Tatis and he's kind of the up and coming guy who's going to be the new face of baseball. But DeGrom, to me, there's absolutely no way that he shouldn't get this award. And then Ronald Acuna Jr., the Braves, the other kind of new face in baseball, um, he's batting two he he's got 18 home runs. The team, uh, the Braves have kind of struggled as of late, um, so I'm not, I think it's kind of why he's fallen off a little bit um, as far as the MVP talk. Um, other than that, Nick Castellanos from the Reds is another guy that could be thrown there, and Chris Bryant, um, the Cubs have kind of had a resurgence as of late. Um, but if you're asking me right now who the AL and NL MVPs are, um, at this point in the season, um, it's got to be Jacob DeGrom and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for their respective um, you know, AL and NL. And if you're talking about a league MVP, I honestly would probably go Jacob DeGrom. Um, he's just been so dominant and is one of the, not only just the best pitchers in baseball right now, but he might go down as one of the best pitchers of all time. Um, so you got every time he's on the mound, you got to be locked into your TV um, because this guy just does crazy stuff. Um, but that's we'll talk some more baseball as the season progresses. It's kind of hard to predict MVPs this early on, um, but it is good to kind of throw some names out just to see as the year progresses what other players kind of put their name um, into the hat. And we'll definitely update that in a few weeks and see um, where we're at there. Transitioning over to some tennis, something I haven't talked about in a while, um, Novak Djokovic just won another title, another French Open. Um, you know, he is now, I believe, at 19 um, Grand Slams, if I'm not mistaken. He's one of, if not the best player um, in tennis history. I would still lean towards Roger Federer, um, but he is just insane. Um, the amount of dominance he's been able to display um, as of late. Part of that is because of Nadal. And Federer getting up there with injuries. But it's just hard to fault Djokovic as much as I don't like him. He's been playing at an insane rate after he had that short little span um, where he wasn't playing his best tennis. And I think this tournament really just showed how great Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic all are. Because for the last few years, I think people have kind of seen all of them dip off with injuries Federer missed about a year. Nadal um, was able to win the French last year, but then other than that, really struggled throughout the year. Novak had a little bit of that in early 2020, but he's really turned it on as of late. But every year you hear Dominic Team's name, Alexander Zverev, um, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniel Medvedev, um, Grigor Dimitrov, all these guys that are supposed to be the next one, the next couple to replace the Fetters, the Nadals, the Djokovic's of the world, um, you know, that have been reigning over tennis on the men's side for the better half of a decade. And it's just insane that Sitsi passes up two sets to none and loses three straight to Novak to lose the French Open. And something like that can really derail a young player like that's career. But I think more than anything, it just showcases how dominant these three players have been 
And there's a legit argument that those three players are the three greatest players in men's professional tennis history. Because if you just go back and look at the differences between, and I know for a while, you know, Juan Borg, uh, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Pete Sampers, and all those guys had their fair share where they were winning a lot. Um, John Newcomb, another one. Uh, Roy Emerson won a ton as well. But if we look back at 2006, you have Roger Federer, Nadal, Federer, Federer, and as far as winning the Grand Slams, and you go down from 2006, you could even do 2005 if you want because Nadal won once that year at the French and Federer won two more. And you go down the list from 2005 all the way to current day. There have only been four other players that, or excuse me, five other players that have won a Grand Slam. Marat Safin in 2005. Then after that, Juan Martin Del Potro in 2009. Then you have Andy Murray a few times, once in 2012, once in 2013, and once in 2016. Then you have Marin Cilic in 2014 when, you know, he won the U.S. Open with some injuries, um, with players going out and everything, but winning it nonetheless. And then last year, Dominic Team winning the U.S. Open um, most recently. Other than that, no one else is winning anything. And Stan Wawrinka, I'm sorry if I forgot him as well. Um, he's won three titles um, along the way too. But the dominance by Federer and Djokovic and Nadal is just something you don't see you know, in sports in general, like as good as Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and those guys are, I don't think any of them, even Michael Jordan, who won six NBA championships, we're talking about three guys who since 2006, there's only been a handful of guys who have won a single title Grand Slam in a year. There has never been a year since 2006 where not one of them has been or like won a Grand Slam. There's not been one single year where not one of those guys has won. The closest would have been in 2014 when Chilich and Vavrinka both won once. Other than that, no one, they've never gotten two guys closer. It's just absolutely insane what those three guys have been doing. And like I said, I'm not a huge Djokovic fan, but you just have to respect the dominance of Nadal, of Federer, of Djokovic over the men's tennis side. You look at the women's side, and you have different winners almost every single tournament now that Serena's getting older, and you're not getting um, her winning over and over again. You're getting new girls and women winning all the time. You're seeing the development of these young players like Coco Goff. You have Stallone Stevens winning um, majors. Um, and it's just insane. You have Federer and Nadal tied for 20 grand slams. Djokovic at 19. The next closest is Pete Sampras at 14. And then if you want to keep going down, the next person that's actually still in the game and, you know, on tour that's not retired um, – you have to go to Stan Wawrinka. He's gotten three. And Andy Murray, I know he's in middle of a little comeback. He's got three as well. No one else currently playing is even close. Um, and it just shows the dominance um, 
and I'm kind of going on a ramble here, but it's just so impressive as a tennis fan to see these three guys um, do it over and over. And I still think it's going to be another year or two before we truly see the teams, the Zverevs, the Tsitsipas, the Medvedevs of the world, and these other guys um, really come out of their shell and start winning. And then closing today's show with some NFL coaches that are going to be on the hot seat um, for the upcoming year. I'm going to give two from the AFC and two from the NFC. I think one of them is going to actually be kind of surprising um, for some of you listeners, but the other three really aren't um, you know, that bold. I think it's just based on some coaches are only in their first, second year getting a new quarterback. And, you know, I feel like a lot of coaches now are getting two to three year leashes, um, if not longer, especially when you have quarterback changes and things of that nature. But starting off with the AFC, um, the first name that comes to me has to be uh, Gruden because the Raiders, since they've signed him to that insane deal, um, they've been mediocre at best. They've gotten off to some good starts and then just completely faltered as the season's progressed. They're in a new location. They're the talk of the NFL sometimes just because of Gruden. They have an okay team. I think they didn't draft well once again. But I think if Gruden doesn't find a way, especially now with the seven teams in the playoffs to get in, um, I just find it very hard to believe that he doesn't get fired. Then the other one would be Vangio, the Broncos. He's in a tough spot because... <clears throat> excuse me, Drew Locke didn't pan out. They got Teddy Bridgewater, who did some nice things last year in Carolina. Overall, their team should be better with, you know, Chubb fully healthy. Von Miller will be fully healthy. They have some playmakers on offense, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, um, Noah Fant. They have a few good running backs. So that's a team that I think realistically could compete for the bottom end of the playoffs. And if they're not even close to that, I think Vangio is more than likely gone. As far as the NFC goes, the first couple names that come to my mind are, I think Matt Nagy's the obvious one. I don't really want to talk about him too much um, because I think he's kind of in a foregone conclusion or if they don't have a good season, he's gone. The two coaches I want to talk about is Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys because that team on paper offensively is one of the best in the NFL. You're getting Dak Prescott back, which is the reason why everyone said you went 6-10 and 10 last year. Go out and prove that you're a great team and that you can get it fixed defensively with some of these guys that you have in Jalen Smith, in Trevon Diggs, Leighton Vander Esch, all these guys, Marcus Lawrence. You should be able to find a way to get better defensively. And you have so many playmakers on offense with Zeke, Gallup, Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Dak, um, and one of the better offensive lines in football that if you continue to underachieve, I think it's going to be a quick trigger. Then again, Jerry Jones held on to Jason Garrett for way too many years. Then the other one is Cliff Kingsbury because they were 8-8 eight and eight last year after starting off the season really well. And the talent that they added in the draft and Xavier Collins in the offseason bringing in A.J. Green, J.J. Watt, and a lot of these other players, um, the development of Buda Baker on defense. Um, you're getting Larry Fitzgerald back again. They have a good running back in Chase Edmonds, who I think is one of the more underutilized backs um, in the NFL, after Kenyon Drake left, James Conner comes in to kind of have a two-man backfield. Kyler Murray 
is entering an important year where you've seen quarterbacks make these big jumps. You have DeAndre Hopkins, you have Christian Kirk, you have Isabella, and if they don't find a way to make the playoffs, I think it could be Dunzo for Cliff. I know they're in a really tough division because San Francisco is going to be a lot better. They just were so banged up with injuries. The Seahawks, I think, are going to maybe be the third or fourth best team in that division. I know everyone's really high on them, and I usually am too because Russell Wilson is always going to lead you into a good space. I think the Rams are going to be so good with Matthew Stafford. I think the 49ers defense is really legit, and I think Trey Lance um, could be that guy. Um, And the Cardinals are obviously very talented, um, but I think Cliff Kingsbury is one of the guys that could be a surprise fire if that team does not um, achieve what they need to this year, especially with the additions they made in the offseason. But that's going to wrap it up for today's show. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. Um, I greatly appreciate all the support. I'll be back again on Tuesday with some more Bills and Sabre stuff. We're going to have a lot to dive into as the Jack Eichel trade um, mill is kind of becoming more and more adamant. Um, It seems like the Ducks are going to be the favorite, so I'm going to kind of dive into that a little bit. We're going to have some stuff to talk about with the Bills. Um, We're going to see maybe some stuff that might be happening. Cole Beasley, um, some pretty strong statements about the NFL um, Player Association and the whole COVID testing and everything. Um, I really don't want to dive too deep into that because it's kind of just a big political topic, and I really don't like making my podcast about that. I think everyone should just be entitled to their own opinions, but I think it could affect you know, his roster spot, and we'll see what happens on Monday and Tuesday morning um, in regards to that. So we'll have something to talk about there. Um, but, yeah, we'll also talk about the Bill's new stadium potential um, on Tuesday's show as well. And then me and Zach will be back next Friday, um, Game 7 tonight between the Bucks and the Nets. And by then we'll have both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals um, gearing up. So we'll talk about that and some other things. But thank you all once again for tuning in for today's episode. It's been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Circles the way, like the Buffalo Bills.